Well, hello and welcome to the Gyanban Experience, a simple podcast in the complex world of the wobbly folk and the wise. Think of it as a slow burn podcast with a carousel of experiences which surround us each day. With deep insights on topics ranging from facts to fiction, reality to entertainment and society to culture, this is your one-stop shop for a sanity check in this mad world. So if you're here for the first time, congratulations. Give yourself a pat on the back and thank you for choosing clarity over cacophony. If you need more clarity, simply scroll down to hear more such episodes and things will become clear to you. If you like what you hear, then don't share with those who don't care. And if you're a regular, thank you for tuning in. You are the reason we do this. I'm your host GB and you're listening to the Gyanban experience. In today's ride, we must talk about the sound of India. Now before we do that, let me take you back a few years. In fact, take you back to the years when sound of music was released. If you remember the yesteryear classic, there was a beautiful song in there. How do we solve a problem like Maria? captured the diversity of maria in so many ways she climbs a tree and scrapes a knee her dress is got a tear she waltzes on her way to mass and whistles on the stair and underneath her wimple she has curlers in her head and so on and so forth it beautifully describes the diversity of that character vis-a-vis how she is expected to be right and it is very similar to how we are in india now as i was listening to the soundtrack i thought of the diversity that is india and therefore how do we find a word that captures the true essence of india with so much going on how do we define the typical india for that we need to zoom out a bit when we travel outside the country especially to say the us we are often classified as asians rightly so because we belong to the continent of asia simple yet each country is so different from the other isn't it you might even find similarity in president trump and hillary clinton but to find similarity of common belief systems is shrinking rapidly within these countries think of china and pakistan nothing in common but allies nevertheless india and russia some common la- commonalities think of brics as a e- economic binding factor and then of course india and pakistan a high degree of common background yet not the best of friends and so with such geopolitical differences how does a country so diverse as in india function to represent as itself as one unit among the diversity of the asian subcontinent and by that design the diversity of the world if we were to introduce the typical indian to a foreigner how do we do it how would we do it who is a typical indian who is who is the correct definition of the typical indian 28 states 22 languages 200 different cultural nuances how do we get a consensus i think about it back in 
when Carl Sagan, the scientist Carl Sagan, sent a gold disc to space representing humanity to the aliens, or if they were to ever come across that disc in space, the challenge at hand was to define humanity. How else do you have a equal representation of the diversity of the world? Lo and behold, I won't go into the great details of all the stuff that he captured, but did you know that Indian classical vocalist Kesar Bhai Kerkar is on that disc among many other talented artists from around the world? The question is, was he the true representation of India? I mean, why not Lata Mangeshkar? I think she must have recorded, what, 25,000 songs by then? It's, it's a world record. I think she finished with, what, 50,000 plus songs? Uh, why not Mohammad Rafi? 80% of India listened to his music in various languages. And collectively between them, they must have touched 90-95% of the country. So if you circle back and think, what was the process of selection to represent India in 1977? With limited diversity that was available at the time, there was a person chosen, nominated, and submitted. Now it is floating in space forever. Very much possible in 1977. But now imagine if that were to happen today. Who would you include and who would you exclude? Would you send Shahrukh or Amir to space? Right? It's just been 73 years post-independence, yet we have grown so rapidly, especially the period post-1990. With this surge of development comes awareness. With awareness comes opinion. And with social media platforms, comes trolling. If someone says, I love Shah Rukh Khan, from one end of the spectrum, the other end of the spectrum responds with Amir Khan, each being true to their core belief systems. Now simply multiply this by a billion opinions, assuming there's just one opinion per person. Right? So 1.4 billion opinions, imagine if they had two or three. So, if there was going to be only one Khan or Bachchan or Kapoor or Singh uh, to be sent to space today as a representation of, say, Indian art or artistry to the aliens or to other humanities, if you will, for lack of a better expression, who would it be? Basis what? Incredibly difficult to answer, isn't it? So when, if this were left to people, what do you get? You would have gotten chaos. Okay. So how do we address chaos? If you stop people from speaking their minds, you risk becoming an authoritarian regime, a dictatorship perhaps. And we all know how that turned out to be for many countries in the past, isn't it? Okay. So we need to be democratic, on the other hand. Great. Which essentially means everyone has a say. But then how do we arrive at a consensus if the opinion is perpetually divided? 
Okay, so what we are saying is if the majority says Shah Rukh Khan, opts for Shah Rukh Khan as an option, then what we are saying to those who support Amir is either you compromise or sacrifice. You accept what is the majority opinion. Okay, now what if this happens in say 100 other topics, in diverse topics, in diverse areas? And the same logic is continued. How long do you think it would be right for them to compromise and sacrifice continuously? If consensus is basis religious identity, how do we ensure that minorities are protected and their voices are heard? We can't give them 2x voting rights. And if, even if it did, the, the majority is still so huge, it wouldn't be enough to protect minorities. And then we spend so much of time discussing minorities that the majority people are getting impatient. That what about us? What did we do wrong? It's not our fault that we are a majority. They say you can't please everybody. If more people benefit, then we should simply follow those norms. Yet the Constitution, and if I can just quote a line or two from the Constitution, it says, We the people of India, having solemnly resolved to constitute India into a sovereign, socialist, secular, democratic republic and to secure all its citizens. Further down, it states the fundamental rights include that the state shall not discriminate against any citizens on grounds of religion, race, caste, sex, place of birth, or any of them. Right, to keep things simple, let's go back to Shah Rukh Khan and Amir Khan, or the choice between the two. Where are we now? We are back to square one. We are in a deadlock. So how do we solve this problem? Friends, I won't belabor the point. I guess you get the drift. What I'm trying to say is it is incredibly difficult to run such a huge magnitude of diversity democratically. The scale is so big, it's beyond our imagination sometimes. One way to find out is, think of yourself leading the country. Imagine you being the leader of the country. What would you have done differently? How would you have done it differently? Tough, isn't it? So before we criticize the way the country is being run, we also need to think of ways we can help solve the problem. Like they say, are you going to be a part of the solution or are you going to be a part of the problem? I prefer that we are a part of the solution. If there is a better way of solving a problem, by all means, share it. Go ahead and show it rather than criticizing the way someone else is trying to do it. For example, you want better roads, you want less traffic, you want better electricity, all legit asks, no doubt. But this is all what you want for the country. You want to consume every drop that the country has. Yet, say for example, when it comes to paying taxes, we question everything. You want more, but are not willing to give more. With less than 3% of the population paying taxes, the burden obviously is on those who do pay the taxes. Is this your thinking of equality for all? What stops you from 
quitting your swanky job or posh business or secure job. It might not be even a high-paying job. It's it's your secure environment. And abandoning everything and doing something for the state, like running for a campaign, you win the election, you come to power, and then change every damn thing that you ever wanted. Better roads, better electricity, lesser traffic, whatever that you wanted, you can do that. If you are chosen by the people's mandate, then that's what you get to do. But the question is, will you actually do that? Chances are not. So therefore, those who are running it then, shouldn't they be allowed to do what they're doing? And I'm sure there are the good and bad and ugly in that. I'm not oblivious to that. Yes, we can question them. They are accountable, no doubt. But one need not become nasty about it. You may have reservations about how they are doing it, and that's a fair ask. And there are enough forums to express your views properly. But those forums don't permit you to spew hate, have a nasty tone to it, or have a very provocative content to it. Yes, it, it is difficult for one person's voice to be heard, no doubt. Do you also realize if a billion people scream separately or have separate things to shout about, what's the end result? Cacophony. When it becomes a united voice, that's when it becomes a momentum. When a country comes together collectively thinking and chanting the same idea, that's when things get done. The only other time when we come together, is when there is a bigger shit to deal with. Think about it, like terrorism or a natural calamity or the virus situation that we are in. So does it mean that unless there is a bigger problem to deal with, we can't come together as one, cast aside our differences and differences of opinion and sit together under one roof across the table and have a mature conversation? Does it really need a bigger problem for us to come together? Take a moment to think, what if none of these situations ever existed? Would we continue down the same path? And then what happens if we do? The power of this country stems from being tightly knit, even in diversity. And it is often found in small things around you. From having chicken in a dosa, to renting your house and being open to all religions, to listening to Coke Studio, to having sambar in Chandigarh or Bhature in Chennai, or appreciating the soldier in Siachen or the brave BSF in jungles, the traffic cop in standing in the 40 degree heat, or the nurse saving people from COVID, cheering Shahrukh or loving Amir. We're all bound by this one constant, our country, India. Jai Hind. Well, that's all for this episode of the Gyanban Experience. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed sharing it with you. I'm here to listen. If you need to talk, just send me a note on hashtag Gyanban, that's on Twitter, or look me up on Facebook, that's G-Y-A-N-B-A-N-N at gmail.com. 
So friends, until we meet next week, stay calm, stay cool, whether you are wise, woke or wobbly. This is your host, GB, signing off. Ciao.